Nelson, and welcome to the One America podcast Saturday Thoughts segment. This is my favorite segment of the week because I get to talk to amazing people doing amazing things in our amazing America. And today's guest is no exception. Sarah Longwell is the strategic director for Republican Voters Against Trump. We'll get to that a little bit later, but a little more about Sarah. Sarah Longwell is the president and CEO of Longwell Partners, a full-service communications firm in Washington, D.C. Sarah is a co-founder of the organization Defending Democracy Together and spokeswoman for its project Republicans for the Rule of Law and strategic director of the recently launched project Republican Voters Against Trump. She is also the publisher of The Bulwark, and Chief Strategist for Republic Affairs, a nonprofit dedicated to strengthening our country's core values and institutions. That's a lot there, Sarah. You're doing a lot. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I should really cut that bio down. That's a that's a that's just a lot of different titles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whenever I whenever I speak and they do the long bio, you can see my face, and I'm usually making faces behind the moderator's back, and people are cracking up. And I'm like, you know, I'm so over me. Can we just say Sophia Nelson is here and just move on? You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think the shorter version would just be like, hey, in the last few years, I've started a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I could have gone on and on and on. And just so you know, audience, I did shorten her bio. So take that for what it's worth. Look, we're going to have a good dialogue here. I want to get right to it on this uh, beautiful Saturday morning. And uh, again, it's always our most popular segment. So let's get to it, Sarah. We have just come through an amazing election cycle. And what I want to know, first and foremost, out of the gates, as someone who does all that you do, but who follows the exit polling, who's got your finger on the pulse of what's going on in America, what did the election results of 2020 tell us about America? Where are we and who are we? Given how evenly divided in many ways, although Joe Biden's, you know, winning by 5 million votes in the popular vote, and, and he'll end up with a decent electoral college when this, this was a close election. Well, what does it tell us? Yeah, I mean, look, we knew going into this election that we were a deeply polarized country. Um, I think, uh, and, and although I, I, I'm not sure if we're through this election yet or not, um, I think right. we're, you know, we're, we're still fighting our way through it. Um, but I, I think, look, we're still deeply polarized. And, and I, I know that anybody who, um, some, some folks on the left, certainly a lot of us in Never Trump world, we really wanted the election to be a thorough repudiation of both Trump and Trumpism. Um, you know, we wanted the Republican Party to sort of feel the backlash of uh, it spending the last four years uh, in the thralls of um, Donald Trump. And that's not what we got. Uh, you know, that's the fact is uh, this election actually looked quite a bit like the 2018 election where, you know, Joe Biden's victory is is big when you look at uh, the number of uh, electoral college votes that he is likely, when all said and done, um, to have gotten. Uh, you know, he flips Arizona, uh, he flips Georgia, which is a big deal, wins back Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. But each of those states was won by a very narrow margin, just like in 2018, where the Democrats picked up 40 seats. But, you know, it wasn't quite the blue wave that they had hoped because a lot of those seats were flipped by incredibly narrow margins. And a lot of those seats flipped back uh, in this election. So 
I think that um, there really isn't much to conclude beyond the fact that we are still a deeply polarized country with very, um, very different ideas about the direction that America should go. And even with somebody who, for me, uh, and I think for a lot of us, look at Donald Trump and think, why can't we all agree that this person is not good for the country? Look at how he's handled COVID. Look at the... Um, the racial strife the country's enduring that he is pouring gasoline on. Um, look at the economic uh, downturn that we found ourselves in and continue to find ourselves in because we're not getting COVID under control. You sort of felt like there might be consensus around that, but the fact is there wasn't. And so there's still a tremendous amount of work to do in terms of pushing democracy forward. Would you then agree that probably the big, if you had to come up with a headline or a banner, it's that America is divided And that's really what we learned about this election, because I couldn't agree more that I was expecting on moral grounds, on ethical grounds, on just people wanting peace and quiet and a return to normalcy and not all the crazy. I fully expected there to be a big blue wave and there just wasn't, like you said. So is the banner that we're just divided? Is that it? I think so. Um, I, I think so. Because I, I, and I, I, here, I look, I think that there's maybe some things going on underneath it that, that we could talk about and pull out. I mean, one of them is, I do think that uh, there's a fair number of voters. I and mean, one of the things that's, that's interesting about this election is all this ticket splitting that we saw. There were a lot of Republican yeah. voters. Um, I think people who, who were sort of the targets for a lot of the messaging that we did. Um, who, you know, voted down ticket for Republicans, uh, but voted for Joe Biden. And I think that one of the things that was going on there is because the polling was so off, people were so expecting this landslide victory for Joe Biden that people were kind of trying to course correct in the way that they voted. They were kind of trying to balance things out and that the net effect of that um, was that uh, Republicans actually ended up doing much better than people thought they were going to. Uh, and so, yes, I think there's there's certainly a, that's that's the headline and maybe it's been the headline for the last um, four years. But there's a lot of interesting things to discuss uh, that I think we've learned now that we're looking at the votes. I mean, look, I am pretty interested in the fact that I thought that one of the big stories coming out of the election was going to be Donald Trump's absolute collapse with women. Um, and, you know, of course, he did didn't do uh, didn't do great with women, um, but not so much worse um, than than in 2016. And in fact, because Joe Biden actually did a little bit better with men, um, the gender gap wasn't nearly as big as I thought it would be. He did lose and turn off a lot of those suburban uh, women who might have voted Republican in the past, but he really held on to a lot of white working class women. Yeah. And um, so anyway, there's just there's, yeah. there's a lot in there. Yeah, I mean, just to audience, if you're uh, just tuning in, I'm talking with Sarah Longwell, who's strategic director, Republican voters against Trump and a whole lot of other amazing things that she does. But yeah, 55% of white women, last time it was 53%, 55% this time, and you're right, that was probably mostly working class white women, uh, less than a two-year college degree. That demographic is very split from its college-educated counterparts, right, of suburban women. So uh, we'll have you back in the future, and we're going to get a number of women on, because one of the things I want to dig into, Sarah, is how women voted in this last cycle, because you're right, there's a lot there 
uh, one of the things that we we as women, I think, are going to have to get better at doing is talking about the divisions among race and class in our gender. And we don't always talk about that. Uh, and I think that's a fascinating topic. Uh, you know, as we talk about this, you started Republican Voters Against Trump. Republican Voters Against Trump in a party where 91% or 92% of Republicans voted for this guy. And with all the reasons you just said, I'm as baffled as you are, but talk to me about Republican Voters Against Trump and why you started it. And more importantly, did it have an impact? Yeah, so we started Republican Voters Against Trump uh, because I had been doing uh, years worth of research, focus groups, trying to understand how you appealed to sort of center-right voters, soft uh, Trump voters, reluctant Trump voters, even people who went third party uh, in 2016, which of course, in 2016, there were a lot of sort of center-right voters who set a pox on both their houses and they parked their vote with the Libertarian uh, or with either Gary Johnson or Evan McMullen. And, you know, the Libertarian, um, those two taken together, they received almost 6% of the vote uh, nationally. Uh, That didn't happen this time, but I think, one of the things that you've seen, you know, when people compare 16 to 20, you know, there's been a lot of shifting and sorting within the Republican Party since then. A lot of people who uh, maybe considered themselves Republicans but couldn't vote for Donald Trump in 16 have now moved from being a Republican to being an independent or even a Democrat. Uh, and the reason that we called it Republican voters against Trump is that we knew what I was hearing with focus groups was people didn't there were there were the people who were out who were like, I'm done. I can't, I'm not going to be part of this party anymore. But that wasn't who we needed to get. We needed to get the people who were kind of on the fence and who didn't like Donald Trump um, and really considered themselves Republicans, but could potentially vote for somebody like Joe Biden. And so we called it Republican voters against Trump because we wanted it to be people who saw themselves as Republicans and who have typically voted Republicans. So maybe they're also, you know, center-right independents, uh, but who just can't get there with Trump. And so when we think about our impact, we look precisely at those Republicans who voted for Joe Biden and then voted down ticket for Republicans. Or maybe it's all the people who voted just for Joe Biden and didn't vote for Democrats down ticket. Those are really the people that we were focused on, the ticket splitters. Uh, And ultimately, look, everybody can claim when you have when you have an election that's this close, victory is very much in the margins. And everybody can claim uh, rightly that they contributed to putting together this coalition. I mean, it took everybody. It took everybody from far left progressives, people doing youth turnout, um, you know, the third way Democrats uh, to the center right coalition, all who were there for Biden. It took absolutely everybody uh, to do that, to, to defeat Donald Trump. But when you look at the results with turnout up so high on both sides, ultimately the difference maker in these key states was that narrow band of people, the people who voted down ticket for Republicans and voted for Joe Biden. Like that is that is a big part of the margins. And so I feel very good about the fact that we spent all our money laser focused digitally right on those voters in the suburbs in key places like those suburbs outside of philly the uh, suburbs and exurbs outside of harrisburg um you know that is exactly what we were looking for and that's where we saw good results you know you're totally spot on i live of course in virginia which used to be red and then purple now very blue um although if you look at the map 
on election night before they started to count the early votes, there was a little bit of consternation, as you know, because people thought, wait a minute, is Trump going to pull off an upset in Virginia? And for a minute, it was a little bit confusing because people didn't understand that they were counting the day of votes, which he had a very good turnout of Republicans on election day. And it's very red here in the Commonwealth until you get to Northern Virginia, which is very blue in the most populated areas. But I'm one of those Republicans you talked about, or former Republicans, but still a Republican at heart, the old Republican Party I grew up in, uh, where I voted for Biden and Harris at the top, and then I voted for the Republican for the Senate and for the House. So you're right. That was something a lot of people did. But I think that the question on everybody's mind, and you see a ton of op-eds on this, and I I refuse to engage for a while. I'm going to wait till the dust settles. But um, you see a lot of discussion about the Republican Party, and, and it's dead, and it's gone, and it's just turned into this crazy, you know, nationalist party, supremacist party, nothing pretty about the things that are being said. What is going to happen to the Republican Party, in your opinion, Sarah, post-Trump or is Donald Trump just now the leader of the Republican Party forever until he leaves this earth? I mean, that's my fear. What What do you see? Yeah, look, it's my fear, too. Um, I am. I think, you know, somebody I saw somebody say something the other day, like I've never seen Democrats so miserable about winning an election. Um, and I think I, too, you know, once once I, I, I sort of internalized the relief of seeing that Joe Biden had won and that despite all of Donald Trump's protestations, they're really is no way for him to, um, you know, reverse the outcome of the election. You know, there's part of me that feels pretty disappointed that the second most, the second highest number of people still voted for Donald Trump. And what do you see him doing? Like, what is his head faint toward right now? Well, it's starting a a media company that'll take on Fox. uh, And then he's talking about running again in 2024. It has always been more important to Donald Trump to own the Republican Party, more important than beating Democrats. That's why people who think that Donald Trump is going to do anything about the Senate races in Georgia, well, he's not. That's not what Donald Trump cares about. He doesn't care about the institutional Republican Party. And I wish the Republicans recognize that because he he exactly. will burn them all down for his benefit. And, you know, for people like Nikki Haley and Marco Rubio and Tom Cotton and everybody who's been sucking up to Donald Trump, hoping that he, you know, touches their heads so that he can anoint them as the future of the Republican Party. No, what's he going to do? He's going to suck up all the oxygen saying that he's going to run again in 2024. And so my my concern is that um, that, yes, Donald Trump is going to continue to have an iron grip uh, on the Republican Party. And without that repudiation, it doesn't leave a lot of room for people like you and I that I was sort of hoping would be there to kind of say, all right, country has said no to this. So and, and all the political incentives now say, you know, we need to rebuild the Republican Party in a sane way. That's a responsible governing party. That's not what we got. Um, and so I am worried about the future because I think it's a very Trumpy future. I'll tell you, I, uh, I'll say this for the first time on my show and publicly, uh, I had really seriously considered running in 2024 as a Republican, but I don't think that's going to happen now. I, uh, I am disappointed. It's not a party that I recognize. It is, um, it is a party that is headed down a demographic hole, as you know, with people of color, with women, and other growing constituencies, LGBTQ, et cetera, where they just turned off 
the majority of minority of America. And as you know, by 2030, the country will be majority minority. And so you look at states like Arizona that have now flipped blue and you look and I think Cindy McCain had a lot to do with that. And I think that Georgia was called for the vice president uh, Biden on Friday. And so when you begin to put all this together and you look at the work that Stacey Abrams did and boy, she's a superhero for them building those voter rolls and rebuilding that blue wall. I don't see, Sarah, where the Republican Party competes, particularly if it takes on this Donald Trump persona of everything is about socialism and it's about fear and it's about anger and it's about being aggrieved. And that's not sustainable, as you know. And I am, like you, aghast that 71 million Americans voted for four more years of that. So. You know, I'm with you. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm I I was hoping that there would be a, a rebirth, you know, of the party of Lincoln that folks like yourself, myself, Bill Crystal, the Lincoln Project, and all of us. And I know people think we're elites, and I know people think, but that's not true. The true Republican Party is people like, you know, Margaret Chase Smith, Everett Dirksen, George Herbert Walker Bush, Ronald Reagan, even W. Uh, you know, and you can go throughout history to a party that was the party of Lincoln and Grant and, and Eisenhower and, you know, um, Everett Dirksen. And I could keep going on and on about the greatness of the Republican Party, Teddy Roosevelt. And if, if this is how it ends, how tragic. So, man, my heart's broken about this, which leads me to the last segment I want to get to here. We've got about five minutes left, which is... Um, you know, President Trump is still not conceded as of, you know, November the 14th, 2020. And we are now, what, 12 days away from the election, just about. And the transition is being held up. The GSA won't release the funds. Uh, what's happening here, uh, Sarah? And how badly is America being hurt by the fact that Donald Trump is conducting himself in this manner with Republicans signing off on it. What's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, my take is that we're watching um, the worst presidential temper tantrum that the country has ever seen. Um, You know, this isn't who we are as Americans. Uh, One of the things that defines us as a country is that uh, we believe in the peaceful transition of power. You know, we, uh, when, when the votes come in and the American people have spoken, uh, we take that judgment and we move on. Um, and for Donald Trump, look, I think there's a lot of people who are really, really scared right now uh, because they see him firing, you know, Mark Esper at D- DOD um, and, and, you know, cleaning out other people in the administration who might have stood in his way. And, and you know, he, he talks constantly about this fraud, which, of course, is a lie. Uh, you know, he's trying to figure out if he can push any lever he can to the federal government. Can he get seat different, you know, alternate slates of electors who will buck the will of people and in a few states and instead go for him. You know, he's exploring every option to try to stay in power. Um, but I think it is, that is unlikely and, and nearly impossible um, for him to do. I think much more likely his end game here is, um, you know, trying to create as much chaos as possible, but also to make sure that people feel as aggrieved as possible. Because for Donald Trump, that, grievement, that grievance is his currency. It is how he will transition those voters uh, into subscribers of whatever media company he starts. It is how he will keep them engaged um, in his uh, 2024 uh, prospects. And so um, I'm just very sad 
that we have a president who is such a narcissist, who is so willing to put himself above the country uh, that he will um, completely throw this much doubt into our democracy and our election process for his own gain. And I am even sadder uh, that Republicans are not speaking up. But this has really defined Republicans. Um, and it's the thing that's been the hardest to watch over the last four years is the extent to which that they are either scared of Donald Trump in a mean tweet or they're scared of his voters. But as a result, they don't speak up when it really, really matters. Um, and that's, that's, I mean, that's what the country needs right now. It needs to hear from Republicans who say it's time to move on. The country has spoken and honor our democratic process. Yeah. Um, I want to say to our listeners who are listening all throughout the globe on uh, Saturday morning, uh, we recorded this on Friday. And the reason I'm going to bring that up is because I saw breaking news, Sarah, that the president plans to speak within the next hour. And we're recording this in the afternoon. And I wanted to do what I usually do not do because we will not be speaking to and addressing that because we'll be finished taping. But what is it that you expect him to say, uh, Sarah? You want to venture a guess of what you think he's going to say when he talks to the nation um, on Friday? Oh boy, I that well, this is news to me. Um, I suppose it is possible that he could be conceding, although I suspect uh, that what he's going to do is allege more voter fraud uh, and talk about this national march for Trump that is happening on Saturday and encourage people into the streets. Potentially, he's going to fire Gina Haspel or the FBI director, Chris Ray. I, I don't know. It could be any of those things. Mm-hmm. This is not a predictable person that we're dealing with. Right. I would just say to our listeners, the best indicator I have that Sarah's probably correct or some variation is if you look at what Geraldo Rivera tweeted early on Friday morning, he talked about having a conversation with his friend Donald Trump. I don't know if you saw the tweet, Sarah. Uh, And then within an hour after that, the president tweeted back the exact opposite of what Geraldo said in terms of I was telling my friend he needs to do the right thing. He needs to concede, da da da. And Trump said, you know, the Democrats are congratulating us on the fairest election process ever in my administration, but it was rigged. So, yeah, I don't think we're going to see a concession. Now, again, guys, remember, you're going to be listening to this on Saturday, but I wanted to let you know that we are not unaware that the president of the United States is going to speak to the nation and to the world on Friday, apparently. Uh, So if that happens, you know that we didn't just check out on you and miss some news. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Sarah, is there anything that you want to, first of all, tell our uh, listeners how they can find you on social media. Uh, yeah, sure. You can follow me on Twitter at, uh, Sarah Longwell two five. Uh, and, uh, that's my old basketball Jersey number. Um, and I'll, I'll say this in closing, which is that, um, this, it can be a little bleak when we talk about, uh, how things are going, but I just want to say quickly that I, I actually am pretty optimistic about Joe Biden. Um, and that I think that the country has been very lucky to get uh, Joe Biden in this particular moment. I think he was born for it. I think that, yeah, he's old, but he's also old school. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he's going to try to work with Republicans. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not I'm not all negative. Yeah, I think you and I are in agreement with that. I'm the eternal optimist. I think that both of us right now echo the sentiments of a lot of Republicans who put a lot of years into the Republican Party who are, you know, we grew up with a different GOP and this is heartbreaking 
frankly, because you do love your country and you do love American democracy. And, and, and the Republican Party is, is a great political party, as I mentioned, for as I ran through a very quick history of who we've been since the beginning when Lincoln, you know, kicked this party off in 1860 and, you know, going into before the Civil War and the man who held the union together and to think that this is it. Yeah, but I'm with Sarah. I believe we'll rebound somehow, even if a new party emerges, whatever it's going to be. I too think, Sarah, that we are blessed to have Joe Biden. Uh, I grew up outside of South Jersey uh, as a young girl and into high school. So Joe Biden was familiar to me growing up. I'm old enough to, to have, you know, seen a lot of his career. And uh, I think he's like something out of the Old Testament. He's like a Job-like figure that has been through so much hell in his life and so much challenge, but he's persevered. He's risen to the moment. He's always got a smile on his face. He's a, he's a kind guy. He's an empathetic guy. And I think he was born for this moment. So I agree with you. And I'm excited to have had this talk with you. Um, uh, come back again and again. You're welcome. Thank you for the work that you do. I love the bulwark. I want to write something for you guys. So let me have at it soon. And I think well, thank you, guys you so much. Fabulous. I hope you will write something. And thanks for having me on. Okay, Bye. Sarah, be good.